Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we hear those words and prepare to come to your holy word, we thank you for sending us Jesus. We thank you that your word describes who we are apart from you, describes the friendless world, the loneliness, the heaviness, the darkness that we live in and through, that which is inside us and outside of us, that which comes against us and from within us. And Father, we need you. You have given us everything in Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the living God, to illuminate our hearts and minds about the truths. And no matter how many times we have heard the good news of Jesus, we've never heard it enough or understood it fully enough. There is always more for us to glean. And thank you, Father, that you've given us grace and mercies even this day to teach us, to transform us, to make us more and more like our Savior. This we pray in his holy name. Amen. Let's stand. For the reading of God's word, we're going to continue in the book of Daniel, picking up where Paul Goebel left off last week in chapter 9 at verse 20. Remember that this part of Daniel, it's coming after these visions that he's had, and then abruptly he, he gives this, this powerful tutorial on prayer. If you've wanted to know how to pray, if you've ever wanted to learn how to pray, along with what Jesus taught his disciples, this chapter is a remarkable guide. So let's listen to what happens in Daniel 9, 20 through 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The reason I wanted to pause here in Daniel before moving into the next section, which I'll get to next week, which is titled The 70 Weeks, is because that section has created all sorts of challenges and controversy throughout the history of the church. And so often our eyes are drawn to that to try to understand that and we can miss something that is made so clear and that is so very important. And that's what these few verses do. We have spoken much of the word waiting because that's what Advent is. And I don't know what you're waiting for right now, but I know you're waiting for something. Some of you, it's pretty shallow. Will my team get into the playoffs? Or will my team have a coach? 
very, very shallow things, but we wait. Some of you are waiting for December 24th or December 25th for packages. Some of you are waiting for more substantive stuff, a doctor's report, a relationship to go deeper, something to change in your life that needs changing. Waiting is hard, and Daniel has been waiting. And what you're gonna see in this passage is really remarkable. But you have to understand, Daniel is not a young man. Because he came to Babylon as a teenager, we tend to think of him as being young throughout this narrative, but he's not young. And what we see here is this wise, godly man praying to the living God. What I wanna do this morning is talk about Daniel's motivation to pray. His prayer of confession, which is really powerful and instructive for us, individually and corporately. And I wanna look at how God answers prayer. In a way, I'm answering these three questions. Why do we pray? And I know Christians struggle to pray. We shouldn't, but we do. Why do we pray? Secondly, why do we confess privately and publicly? Like, what did we just do? as a body, reciting a prayer of public confession of sin. And did it matter? Why do we do that? Do you know? We're gonna talk about that in a moment. And lastly, how can we expect God to answer prayers? That's the direction we're moving in this morning. And I wanna begin by talking about what motivates Daniel to pray. If you don't know how to pray, pray the way God taught us which means pray the word of God. Daniel's prayer is motivated by the word of God. This specific prayer comes out of him reading Jeremiah. He is in Jeremiah, we would see it as chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. Listen to what is spoken here by the prophet Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, now Daniel is at that time. He's not a teenager. He's probably in his mid-80s or even early 90s. This 70 years is coming to completion. Daniel is reading the word of God, and he's responding from the word that he's reading and moving into prayer. Jeremiah 29.10 says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. This is what they've been waiting for. For I know the plans I have for you. Don't lose that word. He knows the plans he has for us. His plans of the history of redemption are always going to be far greater, far more majestic, far more powerful, far more intimate than we could ever imagine. Or even Daniel could imagine. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places." Where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. 
from that reading, Daniel moves into prayer. What moves him then? The promises of God. The promises of God are what should always lead us into prayer. It's often not that which leads us to prayer. It's often pain, and that's not wrong. When we experience pain or the pain that a loved one's going through, it brings us to prayer, but why? Because even then we're praying to a God, the real God, who has made promises to us. So what motivates us to pray? As followers of Christ, it's his promises to us. He has made promises that he will not break. He can't break. And those promises are revealed throughout the history of redemption. And as Daniel is reading Jeremiah at 85 or so years old, he's reminded that we've been here this long. And he knows the pain of that exile. And the reason we know he knows the pain of that exile is what he does next is quite interesting. In verse three it says, then I turn my face to the Lord. I'm back in Daniel nine now. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. He recognized the 70 year timeline. He turns his face to the Lord. He moves into this posture of prayer, motivated by the promises of God, experiencing the pain of the exile. And it says, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Why have our elders called us to a season of prayer and fasting during the season of Advent? We're asking you every Wednesday to fast, if you can. Some of you can't for health reasons. And if you can't fast from food, then fast from something else. And the reason is because when we fast, we are withholding something that we would normally take, like food, in order to set a focus and priority on something else. So fasting is powerful because when you suddenly feel hunger, you're reminded of why you're doing it. You're reminded that you are to be praying and seeking the Lord's face, and all of us can do it. If you've never fasted before, ask God to guide you. Ask him to help you. Maybe it will be from one meal, not all three. Don't boast in it. We know what Jesus said about that but quietly go about withholding something that you would normally partake of in order to prioritize. Daniel moves into this posture of prayer, excited that the 70 year timeline is coming to an end, but he doesn't seem to be moving in the posture of celebration, but the posture of fasting, putting on sackcloth, which is meant to be uncomfortable, to itch the skin, to be a reminder of one's brokenness, and to be a sign that marks repentance. And then it says, with ashes. Ashes are present to symbolize complete ruin. So in Daniel at 85 or so, reads Jeremiah, he turns his face to the Lord. He moves into the posture of prayer through fasting. 
through putting on sackcloth and ashes because he recognizes who he and the people of God have been and that God he knows is faithful to fulfill his promise. God's promises is what draws Daniel to pray. Why do we pray? Because of God's promises. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. He speaks of the Father and the Father is so good to us as he teaches from the Lord's Prayer. What does Daniel do specifically in his prayers? He actually offers petitions. Paul camped here last week in verse 19. Daniel's prayers are this, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. I want to camp for a minute on how Daniel prayed in confession. In your bulletin and in the Bible, look with me at verse 20. Daniel 9.20, it says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, the people of Israel. Well, this is why we publicly confess and privately confess sin. Too many of us think of Christianity as Jesus and me. And yes, if you're in Christ, you have, as an individual, that union with Christ. That is your permanent and your primary identity, and it will never go away. But Christianity is way bigger, much larger than it being just me and Jesus, or you individually and Jesus. It is a body of believers who have union with Christ, who are brought into a fold, ultimately capital C church, the church. And in this body, we experience the joy of God's sanctifying work in our lives. He's faithful to make us more and more like Jesus. And as you grow in your faith and you grow in your lifestyle looking more and more like Christ, it affects those around you. It affects me just as my relationship with Jesus affects you. But so does my sin, and I sin. And so does your sin, and you sin. And the sin of our fathers before us, and pastors before us, and parents before us, and grandparents before us, sin impacts more than just the individual. And Daniel shows us this. Daniel, early in his prayer, look with me at verse three. You'll have to open the Bible in front of you. It says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Then verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and I made confession saying, now listen to this, O Lord, the great and awesome God. What is he doing? He's beginning with praise, adoration. This is who you are. This awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. Daniel doesn't say they have sinned. 
you listen to a preacher and he says, you have sinned, and he doesn't include himself, that's wrong. It's wicked. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. You know, that sounds very close to what our public confession was. Be honest. Were you present when you made it? I know you were here, but were you present? Were you just moving through the words as Robbie read them? It's easy for me not to be present. It's easy for me to be thinking, what am I doing next? What's my first illustration gonna be? Were you present? Do you remember what you just confessed as sin? Do you remember how dark it sounded? Just listen, don't look there, but just listen. We said these things. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Do you believe this about yourself? Do you think the things that you looked at this week that you shouldn't have, the things you thought that you shouldn't have thought, the things you said that shouldn't have been said, even though you listed them as prayer requests for another person. Sin is evil and it's wicked. And the cost of the penalty of sin was God Almighty sending his perfect son. We move too quickly through these things We've known in our hearts what is right, and yet we did wrong anyway. Did you do that this week? I did. You did too. And that's why Daniel is fasting. And that's why he's in sackcloth. And that's why there are ashes because what the people of God did and have always done is to defy him, to rebel against him, to live in deafness. Deafness is hearing the word and not doing it. It's Daniel saying, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, he said, we, Daniel wasn't perfect. He was a godly man, no doubt, but he wasn't perfect or he would have been the one who's Jesus, he's not. But he is a godly man desiring to bring God glory. So he's in sackcloth, they're ashes, he is fasting. In the prayer that he is offering before it gets interrupted. It says, I was praying, back to verse 20, confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Why do we confess publicly? Why do we confess the sin of one another? Because your sin affects me. 
and my sin affects you. There could be Sundays where some of the confessions are more specific. And on a given Sunday, you might actually be able to say, I didn't commit that sin. And you would be right, you didn't. But your brother or sister did. And the beauty of confessing corporately of this solidity, this body is really powerful. The church I came from in St. Louis, we didn't do this. We did not have public confession of sin written for us. And at first, I'll be honest, I was like, I don't know what to do about this. Seems like the list should be longer based on what I'm seeing. <laughs> I don't know about this. And Skip and I talked about it. Tell me why we do it. We talked about it. And it became beautiful. I see these prayers that we're going to confess corporately days before you do. Jay Marty and I do. Jane Burke does as she puts the bulletin together. And when I read them on Wednesday, I'm confessing. And when I read them on Sunday at 9.45, I'm confessing. And when I read them in a little bit around 11.20, I'm confessing. It's not because between 9.30 and the 11 o'clock that some specific thing happened. It might not have. But I'm part of this body. And we confess collectively. Brian Chapel, who is going to be our Winter Grace preacher, he's been here many times. He was the president of Covenant Seminary. He's now the moderator of our denomination. In writing about this, and by the way, this wasn't written recent, recently, so don't think it's about current events, though it speaks to them. This was written many, many years ago. Listen to how he talks about the need for public or corporate confession. Here's what he writes. Let us be clear about this. Grace certainly frees individual believers from the guilt. I'm gonna say this again. I want you to hear it carefully. Grace certainly frees individual believers from the guilt of national, familial, and personal sin. The guilt. The sins of our history and context do not keep us from individually enjoying the benefits of grace. And yet, the benefits of grace should not keep individuals from confessing corporate responsibility for the sins of our families and culture. If I am so swept into a culture of materialism that I do not see or fight against the impoverishment of the disadvantage, then I need to confess my personal sin. In addition, if I see and object to the sin, but still live in and benefit from the society driven by such aims, then my confession of corporate sin is appropriate. If I find racism abhorrent but still have advantages from slave-owning heritage of my family or the oppression ignoring history of my church, then I should confess the sin of my family 
and ecclesiastical affiliations. If I personally find the sins of abortion, sex trafficking, and chemical addictions abhorrent, but, my, but I find my life entwined in a culture that promotes such evil, just turn the TV on this afternoon and watch the commercials in between a game and what's going on at the game. Then I have a responsibility to confess our sin with the prayer that God would bring his mercy and power to bear upon all of these evils. Grace would bring his mercy and power to bear upon all these evils. Grace is great enough to cover all our sins, individually and corporately, but does not free us from the responsibilities to confess both. And this is what's so beautiful about Christianity. We're the only body that really confesses sin, not just individually, but corporately. It is important to recognize that we are not saved merely for individual gain. We are saved to be part of a body for a world-transforming plan of redemption. Salvation is not just about Jesus and me. The gospel and the plan of redemption, the history of redemption, is always greater. And that's what Daniel is about to see. So let me set the table for next week. Daniel asked God in verse 19, delay not for your own sake. Robbie said it in the introduction of our time of confession and prayer. Sometimes it feel like, feels like God's late, not on time. That's not the case here. Daniel prayed, delay not. And while he's still speaking, a man who is the angel Gabriel shows up. Has that ever happened to you? If it has, I really want to meet you. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Daniel's praying. He's still confessing his sin and the sins of his people. When suddenly, and Daniel's telling us this, while I was speaking, verse 21, in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. That in and of itself is amazing to think about why he included that. Real quick, Daniel's still living on the liturgical calendar of the people of Israel, which is not being considered in Babylon. Okay, enough of that, moving on. Verse 22, he, Gabriel, made me understand speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. Why do you hear what's coming next? Because, or for, you are greatly loved. The Hebrew word there, do you know what it means? Precious. Daniel, you prayed delay not. The word went out. Before you've even finished praying, I'm here. And I'm here to do two things. And these two things, by the way, are the same things we can expect God to do when we pray. We can expect God to answer prayer, giving us the same two things he's giving Daniel. He says, I've come 
to inform you or to give you insight. The word of God tells us to ask for wisdom. And so he tells Daniel, I've come to give you insight. I've come to give you understanding. But he also in prayer comes to tell him who he is. You are loved. Friend in Christ, no matter how dark the list of sins are that you personally should confess, that I personally should confess, that we corporately should confess, God's love is greater still. That's our identity. The angel Gabriel tells Daniel that he will give him insight and understanding. And this is what I'm going to say about that. And you'll read it for next week. What Daniel hears is mind-boggling. People in the church have debated it for centuries. But there's clarity at the core. And what that clarity reveals is that God's plan to save his people, to redeem his people, is far greater, far more mystical, far more incredible than we could even imagine. Because what Daniel doesn't know is that the next time the word of God records this same man speaking. He's going to be speaking to a priest named Zechariah, who will be the father of John the Baptist. And then in Luke 1, he's going to speak to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, Gabriel, saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The first time we hear Gabriel speak, it was to Daniel. Daniel's thoughts were simply about the people returning to the land. And what God is going to do in the final chapters of Daniel is say, it is much, much bigger. I will show you your identity. You're loved. I will give you insight and understanding. But it's going to be bigger than you think. And it's going to involve the incarnation of my son. And now, you might be thinking, I'm jealous that Daniel had an angel speaking to him when he prayed. Well, don't be. And here's why. If you're in Christ, Christ himself is praying for you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit right now, God himself, Gabriel is not God, is praying for you. It's always much greater, much bigger.
than we think. Father in heaven, may these words inspire us as we wait to draw upon your promises, to bring our pain to you, to confess our sins and the sins of our brothers and sisters, to remember that you love us and that you are going to give us everything we need while you fulfill your plan of redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.